Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Bill Stevens, a teaching pastor here at NCC. And since Pastor Kurt wrote and gave two messages last week, especially on Easter, he's given me the opportunity to share with you today, and I am truly grateful. As I've said before and say to you once again today, I feel so honored and blessed to be a part of such an amazing church and to be included on an A-team staff. Today I'm going to be sharing with you from Matthew's Gospel. I read to you two short texts. First, from Matthew chapter 27, beginning with verse 62. Friends, hear the word of God. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priest and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people he's been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guards. The second text is from chapter 28, beginning with verse 11. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. When the chief priest had met with the elders and devised the plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Friends, the word of God. If I mention the names Haldeman, Ehrlichman, Liddy, Colson, and Mitchell, would it ring a bell in your mind? Would you put those names together and have a memory of an event from the past? If you were sitting here in this beautiful congregation this morning, most of you would be nodding your heads, yes, because those names would remind you of Watergate. On June 17, 1972, these five men were caught breaking into the Democratic National Headquarters under the direction of then-sitting President Richard Nixon. When they were caught, these five all lied, denying their involvement. But you know how long it took them to change their story? All five, within 12 hours, cut a plea bargain, and admitted to what they were really up to. 
Now, we weren't talking about life and death. They were just talking about the length of the sentence term. I'm sorry, the length of the prison term, if I can see it right. As it turns out, they end up serving from six months to four and a half years. But what we learned from that example is those five could readily be bought. So I pause and begin today to ask the question, what will a person do to save their own skin? So I was thinking about this and examples in the Bible. The first example came, coming to my mind was that of Abraham. You may remember the story. He lies and says to the king that Sarah, his wife, is actually his sister. He says this to save his own skin. And then there's Jacob. Jacob, the deceiver, the grabber, who lies to his dad, Isaac, pretending to be his brother Esau in an attempt to steal his brother's birthright and dad's blessing. He does steal it. But when his brother comes home, finds out what's happened, he's angry, and so Jacob flees. He runs away to a faraway land where he grows up. And then one day he gets word that his brother Esau is on the way and he has 400 soldiers. So what does Jacob do? He puts together this large peace offering, sending livestock, olive oil, and green, hoping to appease his brother and save his own skin. And friends, in last week, Pastor Kurt talked to you about Peter. Impetuous, courageous Peter who three times vehemently denies that he even knows Jesus to save his own skin. What will a person do to save their own skin? When I was in sixth grade, my parents, my sister, and I lived in a small town called Maynard, Iowa. Population 500. It's even smaller than that now. We lived two blocks from the school. And I remember recess time because at recess, we had the normal playground equipment, meaning swings and merry-go-round and monkey bars and things like that. But what was cool about our recess area is that there was an acre or so of woods. My buddies and I loved to play cowboys and Indians in the woods. Now, my best friend, Alan Rummel, lived across the street. We did everything together. And we played cowboys and Indians, as did some of our buddies. One day, it was a Friday, our teacher, Mrs. Rurod, called us over at recess and said, why won't you boys let the girls play? And we said, oh, never. We thought the girls had cooties. But why would we want the girls to play? She said, okay, then I'm telling you, you have to let the girls play. Well, I didn't take that very well in sixth grade. So the next morning, I got my buddy Alan across the street. We took our shovels, went up to the playground, went to the wooded area, and out on right in the middle of a, a popular path, we started digging. And we dug a pit about six feet by six feet waist deep. And then we put black, brown plastic over it and covered it with sticks and leaves and grass so it looked alike. It looked like the surrounding ground. And then we couldn't wait for Monday morning. And he and I alone knew that secret. And Monday at recess, sure enough, we invited the girls to play and they were excited. 
And Alan and I took off running down the path, only we avoided the pit that we had dug by just a foot or two. And the girls falling behind, Debbie Grosskirth fell in. Thankfully, she didn't get hurt. But it wasn't but about five minutes before she told the teacher, the teacher told the principal, and about six of us boys were standing outside the principal's office. There in the hallway, we agreed with each other that we would all say we don't know where the pit came from. And then one at a time, she called us in alphabetically. And I was last. And when my buddy from across the street, Alan Rummel, came out, he didn't even make eye contact. He hurried down the hallway. And when I walked in, Mrs. Annalie Baker, who was large in charge and we were scared to death of her, asked me to sit down. I sat down in the chair with fear and trepidation. In trepidation. She said, in a really calm but firm voice, Bill, why did you dig that pit? And what flashed into my mind was that rat Alan Rummel has thrown me under the bus. While I'm thinking that, she asked it again. Bill, why did you dig the pit? So what did I do? I lied. I said, in order to catch rabbits. The look on her face said, Bill, I'm not buying this for a second. But then she paused for a long time so I could sweat. And then she said, well, I want you to go after school today and fill in that hole and promise me you'll never do this again. And I said, yes, ma'am, and got out of there as fast as I could. Alan Rummel sold me out to save his skin. I lied in order to try to save my skin. What will a person do to try to save their own skin? Let's look at our text today. The first text takes place on Saturday, the day after the crucifixion. And let's notice it's the Jewish officials who go to the Romans and request that the tomb be sealed and that guards be posted. You see, the Jewish officials were scared to death of Jesus' resurrection. They wanted to nip it in the bud well, the support for this rabble-rouser. And this was their plan. So the tomb was sealed. It was a large stone. It was placed in a trough that was at an angle so that it could be rolled down across the opening and it would be difficult to push it uphill to get it away from the opening. And then they sealed it with a plaster Paris, almost concrete kind of material that hardened, making it airtight. And then the Romans post four guards who stood at four-hour shifts around the clock. Now, we know that Jesus was in the tomb roughly 40 hours or 10 shifts. So it's possible there were up to 40 soldiers who guarded that opening. We don't know if any of them served more than one shift, but somewhere between 24 and 40. The Jewish officials make the request the Romans cooperate. And then our second text tells us that it's Sunday morning, and Matthew the writer says that as Mary and the other women are going to the tomb to embalm Jesus' body, at the same time, the soldiers are going from the tomb to tell the Jewish officials what's happened. 
When they arrive, they tell the truth. And the Jewish officials then immediately go to the Sanhedrin. Now this was their governing body. 71 men who made decisions that were both civil and church related, no separation at this point. And they convene and they discuss. And the plan they come up with is to offer these soldiers a large sum of money, Matthew tells us, if they will tell the story that the disciples came and stole the body while they were asleep. And then they add, and if you get any trouble from the governor or from others, we got your back. We're on your side. Don't worry about it. Just tell the story. Now, Matthew's writing this about 80 AD. We don't know exactly, but within a couple of years, 80 AD. So it's been 50 years since the resurrection as he's writing this down. And he tells us the story that the body was stolen by the disciples is still circulating. The soldiers were bought out. But as Pastor Kirk told us last week on Easter morning, the disciples were not. In fact, he went over a list, threw it on the screen, of what happened to each of the disciples and how they met a painful ending because they refused to deny the resurrection. And I don't know how you felt as you went over that list, but I can't have squirmed. And I thought to myself, I don't know if I could do that. That one must have really hurt. Can you even imagine being boiled in oil? I can't. Or being crucified upside down? I don't think I can. The soldiers could be bought, the disciples could not. They remind me of one of my favorite heroes, missionary Jim Elliott, who with three of his friends from Wheaton College in the 1950s, attempt to reach an unreached tribe in Peru, the Alka Indians. But all four are killed before they even get into the village. But before they get on the plane and take off on this assignment, Jim Elliott offered what has been a what has become a famous missionary quote. He said, and I quote, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he can never lose. Friends and disciples believed it as well. Soldiers could be bought, the disciples could not. For they believed that some things were more valuable than extending life around planet Earth. And being faithful was one of those things. Pastor Kim was the pastor of a church in North Korea, a small church. They only had 27 members. And it was an underground church because it was illegal to be a Christian in North Korea. And I mean, literally underground. The members dug a tunnel from one of the members' houses out away and then created a large room underground. And every week, that's where they met to worship and praise God. One day, the communists were doing road construction. One of the pieces of heavy equipment caused a cave-in, and the small church was discovered. Every one of the members admitted that they were Christians, followers of Jesus, believers in the resurrection. All 27 were put in prison. Then the Korean officials decided it's time to send a message with a public humiliation. So they made an announcement calling all who would to come to the stadium where 30,000 people showed up. The 27 were brought from the prison out into the stadium. 
There was a gallows in the center. And the four children had nooses placed around their tiny necks. And they were put on the gallows preparing to be hung. The officials called out to the parents, now is your chance. Deny the resurrection of Jesus or your children will die. Those parents shouted to their children, we will see you in heaven soon. The children were hung and they died quickly and quietly. And then the gates were opened at the end of the stadium and a large steamroller revved its engine and began to drive into the stadium. The 23 were told to lay down. And then the officials shouted over the loudspeaker, this is your last chance to deny the resurrection of Jesus or you will all die. You know, not one spoke up. Instead, Pastor Kim led them in singing a hymn, more love to thee, O Lord, more love to thee. They started up the engine and rolled over every one of them. And they died singing to the very end. They could not be bought. Like the disciples, they realized some things are more important than staying alive on planet Earth. The North Korean press announced it as suppressing superstition. And friends, it happened less than 50 years ago. In the book called Jesus Freaks, the author tells this story and dozens of others just like it about men and women of faith who could not be bought. Stories like John Huss and Polycarp who were burned at the stake and refused to deny the resurrection. You see, down through the years, the Jewish officials were not angry with Jesus' teachings, his values, his principles, his example. It was a resurrection. And so in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are teaching, and they're brought in and told, stop talking about the resurrection. They refused. They're flogged and set free. They continue talking about the resurrection, and that is what always got them in trouble. Because the resurrection is what separates us from every other religion. The Apostle Paul would say, if the resurrection is not true, our faith is useless, and we are of all people most to be pitied. But if Jesus arose on Easter, and it is true, then friends, it changes everything. I've been a Christian for 50 years. And at different times in my life, there were different things that happened that deepened my faith. And first of all, it was in college where I was an Old Testament major. And I took a class called Biblical Archaeology. And I took ancient civilizations of the Near East. And I subscribed to a magazine called the Biblical Archaeology, Archaeological Review, if I could say it. And I love reading that magazine down through the years. But what I've learned is archaeology confirms the Bible. At no time and in no place has something been discovered that contradicts the people, the places, the events, the stories of life. It strengthens my faith. Even though archaeology confirms the Bible, it does not refute it. And then there was a time, mostly in the 90s, when I read biography after biography of missionaries. I've read most of them. 
And it strengthens my faith to know that there are men and women from the past who could not be bought, who are willing to die in any manner, shape, or form rather than deny the resurrection of Jesus. It strengthens my faith. I hope if I were in that situation, I could do the same, but it would be only by God's strength. Friends, the Bible has stood the test of time. And down through the years, there have been numerous people who have tried to discredit it, to disprove it, to disarm it. But it is God-breathed, and it's been reliable down through the years, and it still stands as true today. But most recently, that which has deepened and touched my faith has been my experience with Lopastus. Because for four years, I had the opportunity to be a chaplain in Henry and Glades County, and the chaplain discipline is optional to those that we served. And so when I went into a home, they knew I was coming as a chaplain and they were permitting me to come. And during those four plus years, at least a hundred times, I was present in the room when the person transitioned from this life to the next, at least a hundred. But I can remember at least 50 times while I was there and the person was about to transition, and they sat up, they looked up, they reached up, and they talked to someone I could not see. I proposed to you they were not all hallucinating because of morphine. They were not all emotionally disturbed or crazy. No, no. It was a glimpse into what happens next when we leave here. Happens because the Bible's true. Jesus says to be absent from these bodies is to be present with the Father. The Bible says that no eye has seen, no ear has imagined, no ear has heard, no mind even imagined all that God's prepared for those who belong to Him. The resurrection is true. Jesus says, If you believe in me, even though you die, yet shall you. We live with an Easter hope that continues beyond Easter into our everyday lives. Because it is true, it changes everything. And so today I share with you my great gratitude for those in the past who could not be bought. And I request of the Father the same kind of faith for each of us that no matter the situation or place or challenge, we too would stand on the solid rock that doesn't move, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, proclaiming to the very end that he is Lord and the resurrection is true. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, today we gather to profess right where we are that the resurrection is true. And we request of you the faith so that we cannot be bought no matter what. We're thankful for the examples of the past. We're thankful for the gifts of archaeology and support. We're thankful for the Bible that stood the test of time. Father, we don't know what's ahead, but we know we're not in control, and we believe you are. So, Father, may we be witnesses for you right where you've planted us. May we be lights that shine and salt that adds flavor. May we be your hands and feet. May we be those that are not panicking and hoarding because we're afraid. May we be those that trust you, who praise you at all times and give thanks 
in all situations or you live inside us and you make a difference. Father, be glorified now as your people in your church live out their faith, praising you at all times and in all things. I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.